Thank you, worship team. I'd like to just make a couple announcements, and uh, we do this at a time uh, to correspond with the people who listen live stream or watch this later on uh, because they're still at home or for whatever reason they're they're tuning in with us online. Uh, we just want to make sure they get some of these announcements also, just reminding you that for the rest of the month, um, for the Fortuna Community Group will uh, be meeting off and on. It's probably best to call Bob's house or call Grant to make sure from week to week if they are meeting, uh, just because uh, occasionally um, health issues might uh, make one meeting not go and the next go. And women's, uh, women of the Word are uh, meeting for a couple more weeks before they take their summer break. If you're interested in that, you can speak with Lisa. And um, uh, two new things, June 5th, um, which is a Sunday, we're going to uh, have a church potluck. And uh, the idea is for the couple months of summer, and now that we're kind of slowly pulling out of this pandemic era, and uh, not being able to fellowship together as often as we have in the last couple of years. We're hoping to make opportunities where we can get together and share a meal together, which is, you know, I grew up Baptist in the South, and if you ever wanted to get together with people, you had a meal. And uh, so we're going to get together and have a meal and hopefully have some time we can catch up and fellowship and and enjoy each other's company while we enjoy whatever you might bring. So feel free to bring some things to share um, with it. It'll be right after the service. And uh, a new thing that I have been advertising, and uh, for those who might want to use it, we do have some online giving opportunities that you can uh, use if if you don't want to use your checks or cash or things like that uh, in the past. Uh, if you want to uh, use that um just go on the website and look under giving, and it has some instructions. If you get stuck on something, give me a call or reach out to me, and I'll try to walk you through it. Uh, just be aware that there are some fees involved in it, um, so, uh, you know, use that wisely. But uh, just giving you another method that you might be able to give on a regular basis if, if you want to use that. Don't feel obligated, of course. Uh, a couple prayer uh, updates. Uh, Bob isn't here today. He started feeling poorly this weekend. Uh, I know he's taken some things to try to get back on his feet, and I, I think he's fully anticipating on being here next weekend. So pray for Bob as he uh, is not feeling well. Uh, we sent out a prayer um, request for David Toasty on, um, uh, I forget which day we actually sent that out. Excuse me. And uh, he is having some issues with his eyes, uh, could potentially be pretty severe. And uh, he had a specialist appointment in Santa Rosa a few days ago and went down. And uh, they are looking at a couple possibilities, which could um, be stress-related or it could be uh, some eye disease that could be a little more serious. But uh, they have another appointment in a few weeks, and we, they just ask that we continue praying for uh, David and uh, for the, the specialists that they might know the best way to, one, detect what it is that's going on and, uh, and treat it if, if it's uh, the worst case. Uh, David is actually kind of hoping it's just stress-related, which 
it, out of the two options, I guess that is the best one. But uh, we just hope that God will resolve whatever this issue is. And keep remembering our shut-ins. And there are some that can't come and be with us anymore just because of their health. There's others that just can't come back quite yet because of uh, ongoing health needs. And uh, we don't want to forget them. And uh, they're still part of our family no matter where they are. Some of them were able to join us online. Um, one of the things I'd like to be able to do is on that June 5th potluck is maybe giving a, a opportunity if the weather cooperates to maybe we can set some tables up outside so that a, a few of them can come and join us for the potluck and uh, maybe be a little more comfortable with getting together and uh, doing that and be able to catch up. So we'll see how that works out. And then, of course, uh, we've lost a number of loved ones over the last uh, couple years. And just praying for those families for peace and comfort and remembering them and uh, the influence they had on even our church life, uh, the scribers and others who have been with us a long time. So, so let's pray and then we'll get started this morning. Heavenly Father, again we come to you and Lord we just come before you this morning in awe and in worship. We come with grateful hearts. We come with the desire, Lord, to be able to bow before you and worship you this morning and give you the praise and the honor and glory that you deserve. And Lord, where we fall short, we pray that you will bring that honor and glory upon yourself. That through all things, men and women in the world will know that you are God, that you are their creator. Lord, we thank you that you bring us together as a local body here. We thank you that there are times when we have to rejoice together and be glad together with new births and baptisms and um, babies being born and all the things that we get to rejoice about together. And we, we even thank you for the times when we can weep together or be concerned together about health issues or the loss of loved ones. Because that's what unites us. That's What's part of being a family is to be able to rejoice together and to weep together. And Lord, we think of our loved ones that can't be with us because of illnesses or because of physical uh, limitations. And we just ask that you will be with them, that you'll keep them, that you'll be with their treatment teams to be able to give the right treatment to them and care for their bodies. And we pray for those who might be able to come back sometime soon, Lord, that whatever obstacles need to be overcome will be taken place and overcome and they can come back and be with us on a regular basis. Lord, we pray for Bob. I ask that you heal his body, whatever's going on there. We pray for David and ask, Lord, that you will touch his body, that you will uh, let this uh, be the lesser of these issues. And that will be something that can be resolved very easily. We just pray that you protect him. Give him um, assurances and peace in you. 
And we pray for his doctor that they will make very wise uh, decisions and be able to help him. And Lord, we pray that you be with us now as we go into your word. We ask that you will speak through me as feeble and um, weak as I am in in doing this. I just ask that you will uh, use this word to build us up today, Father. That you will take it and use your Holy Spirit to accomplish whatever it is you want it to accomplish today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and We thank you for the salvation that you give to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing this morning. Bob started our new series that we are in for a few weeks uh, last Sunday, that it will be in uh, chapter 12 of Romans. We entitled this The Habits of a Healthy Christian. And I think as we go on over the next weeks, you'll get the the reason why it is called that. If you'd like to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, I'd ask you just to hold that spot. We will uh, go through some of it here shortly. But I'd like to uh, say a few things as I'm building to that. As a child, I remember being taught that I should do to others what I would want them to do to me. I even have taught that same rule to my own kids as we were raising them. I would think there's probably plenty of people here who know that rule from your own Childhood and maybe your child raising days. It's sometimes called the golden rule. But have you ever really given any consideration to that statement and what it means? I suspect that in my life, especially as a child, that it was used to teach me by my parents or my siblings to act in a better way when we were being mean towards each other or maybe said something unkind to one of our siblings or one of our brothers or uh, friends. And I don't know if they truly understood it themselves, but it did have a purpose in the sense of telling us that we should be treating each other differently. I know that's probably the usual context that I used it on my kids. It amazes me, and when we were watching our kids growing up, um, how unkind siblings can be to each other occasionally. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be uh, intentional or they're just being (laughs) mean out of their own sinful nature <laughs> or what the reason is, but uh, sometimes it's, it sets you back to sit there and go, wow, what are you thinking? Why did you do that? The statement actually originates in one of Jesus' teachings that's found in a couple of the Gospels. 
One reference would be in Luke chapter 6. When he taught during the Sermon on the Mount that we are to love our enemies. He taught that someone who was following him, his disciples, should not only love your enemies, which, come on, that's not, or, I'm sorry, not only love your friends, which is very easy to do. I mean, we don't have to work too hard at liking people that we like or loving on them. But you're also to love your enemies, which I would expect everyone thinks that that's, that's a lot tougher. But Jesus went further. We are not only just to love our enemies, we are to do good towards them. That's regardless of how they may have treated us. We are to treat others the way that we would want them to treat you. The Bible has a lot to say about how we are to interact and treat each other. Our spouses, our family members, our friends, our church family, the needy around us, even strangers. There's a lot taught in the Bible about that. It's a major topic in the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's, it's dealt with, it's approached. There's things that come out that involve relationship. And that's because relationships are important. We all have them. Hopefully you have some good ones. And not just bad ones in your life. Remember the Ten Commandments given to Moses in the book of Exodus. God gave the people of Israel and to us too, the people who are his people who are to come, four commands on how we're to relate to him. Remember what they are, not to have any other gods besides him, not to make or have idols, not to use his name in vain. To remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. All commands establishing man's relationship with God. Setting the parameters. This is a, what we call a vertical relationship. That relationship that human beings have with God. The remaining six commands. To honor our parents. Not to murder. Not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to lie about our neighbor, not to desire what is our neighbor's. All involve our horizontal relationships with each other, which is any other relationship you have besides with God is going to be a horizontal relationship. I assume that most of us here would agree that it is good to have some rules like we're not to murder each other or we're not to steal from each other or lie about someone in court. It seems like those would be helpful if you were trying to have a relationship to kind of have those rules in place. 
I know if I'm going to start a relationship with someone, I would appreciate not having someone wanting to kill me. So um, those rules are good to have. In the gospel, we have a record of one of the many tests that the religious leaders of Israel tried to test Jesus with. They're constantly trying to challenge him. They're trying to discredit him or to get him to blaspheme God so they could get rid of this nuisance that he has become in their little kingdom. In that test, they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And how does he answer? He says, by summarizing the Ten Commandments, he said that the greatest command was that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. He, he further stated, he didn't just stop there, he further stated that the second greatest commandment is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So that summarizes the last six commands on how we are to live in this relationship with each other. We're to love one another. And that incorporates part of the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't have to add that second command to the, to the religious leader's question. They only asked what was the greatest command. But he gave them two answers. And I think that indicates the importance that the Ten Commandments that God put on relationships with each other and what Jesus and how he looked at relationships with each other, that he restated it. How we live with each other is important. Jesus taught on many things pertaining to our relationships with each other and with God, how to love each other, how to forgive each other, how not to judge each other, to give to the needy, not to have idols in our lives and not to do things that take away from the worship of God, the one God. How not to commit adultery and not hate and have hate in your heart. He taught all these things, among many more. And these are all important instructions that involve our daily lives. A lot of these things we struggle with every day, or at least frequently. The Apostle Paul and other writers of the New Testament books also wrote instructions on how to live with each other. Again, with all the various relationships you can think of, the spouses and family members and members of our church family, strangers and foreigners, and how we should accept them and, and love on them. Now, there may be some here today that would admit that they have found it easier in life to get along with friends and co-workers than with members of their own family. Some families that I'm aware of have very sad and hard family issues and relationships that are broken for various reasons. 
in their paths. This is a sad result of living in a fallen world that's under the curse of sin. The result is that there are many broken relationships. Throughout human history, there has been untold numbers of friendships and family relationships that have been severed or destroyed by someone doing a mean or hateful act or acting in a hateful way towards the other or even having a stubborn or hard heart. God knew that we needed help to understand what it looks like to follow Christ and live in the life that he calls us to. So we have the written word, the Bible. We have the benefit of he wrote a lot of this down for us to explain it. But I will say that that alone is not enough because you can read this if you're a non-believer and maybe grasp some of it. But if you were to try to implement it in your own strength, you would only be marginally successful. Occasionally. Because it takes more than just head knowledge. It takes a changed heart. Not only is he giving, has he given us his written word, but God also has given us a helper, the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives. And he's with us as we are going through our relationships with anybody that you can think of. He is there to help us if we seek his help to have a relationship with a person, even in those hard relationships or those relationships that you might think, I just really don't want to have a relationship with that person. Which, according to what Jesus is saying, is not an option. To the extent that you have any ability to change it. Paul addresses this in the first verses of Romans chapter 12. Bob preached on it last week. If you look at verse 1 and 2 again, he started the series with the verses, and I agree with him. These verses are very important to the text and to the section in, that we're dealing with, with uh, living um, the Christian life. Paul there says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Bible scholar F.F. F. Bruce addressed this passage in one of his works on Romans when he wrote, In view of all that God has accomplished for his people in Christ, meaning 
the beginning of Romans and building up to this verse. In view of all that God has accomplished for his people in Christ, how should his people live? They should present themselves to God as a living sacrifice, being consecrated to him. He goes on to explain that the Old Testament animal sacrifices that were being done were rendered obsolete by Christ's self-offering. And then he continues with his thought, there's always room for the worship rendered by obedient hearts. That's how we are consecrated to God, having worship through obedient hearts. Instead of living by the standards of a world at discord with God, believers are exhorted to let the renewing of their minds by the power of the Spirit transform their lives into conformity with God's will. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to do it. And we need to be willing to make the changes that need to be done in our lives. Because you can resist Him. You can buck against Him. But if you work with Him and conform to Him, the Holy Spirit and His power will work in your life to transform you to be in conformity with God's will. Paul wrote the book of Romans to call believers to live in a certain way. This is a frequent theme of the New Testament writers. Such as when Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, he said, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Or in Philippians 1, where he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Jude, verse 3, he said, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. And there's many other times when this, this thought is being brought out. That we are called to live in a certain way. Not the way that we are used to if you're not saved or you're just living in the world without God in your life, but a different way, a certain way. When Paul used the word therefore there in 12.1, he ties together what he had been previously talking about, which in this case was the whole first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he ties it together with now what he's going to continue saying in the remainder of Romans. He gave us 11 chapters explaining what God has done to make the life of following Jesus possible. And now, therefore, that word that he used to tie it all together, dedicate your life to him. And to use your spiritual gifts, which he begins talking about in verse 3 and through 8, which we won't be going through this morning. So use your spiritual gifts, which is almost always to be used in a church environment. Your spiritual gifts are typically gifts that are 
meant to encourage and exhort and minister to each other with. And then he says, and begin living like this, which begins with about verse 9. He goes through the end of the chapter where he begins to explain what this life looks like. Pastor and teacher John MacArthur teaches that verse, uh, Romans 12:9 begins what he considers the heart of Romans. You know, we think about the book of Romans and we, we think about all the, the doctrines. It's, it's doctrine rich. And the things that may be in there and people will start uh, sometimes thinking that, oh, you know, those first few chapters when it's dealing with sin and, and salvation and repentance and all the things that require that. By the time it gets to about chapter 12, it's kind of puttering out. That's not the case because that first 11 chapters is actually building to here, to now say, this is why, this is what he did, and because of that, you should be doing this, and this is how it should look in your life. I almost feel like I took a Sudafed or something this morning, my mouth is really dry. The first chapters of Romans is good and concise and rich, provides us with great truths. But the remainder of Romans applies it to the Christian life. For us to be able to not conform to this world and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called to, we have to be all in as Christians. It's a very it's very sad that so many people who profess Christ are living dull, broken, sad, unfulfilled lives. You know some of those people. Hopefully you're not one of them you're thinking of right now. I think this can be explained in a couple of ways, at least how I've kind of wrapped my head around it. First, because many people who profess Christ are probably not saved anyway. They're not really saved. They made a profession of faith sometime in their past, and for whatever reason, it 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 didn't take root. And because of that, they might have been told by somebody, well, you said this prayer of confession and repentance, and so now you're saved, and march on like you are, and never let anybody tell you otherwise. But in their life, they never have seen any evidences of what becoming a Christian is all about. They've just made a profession of faith at one time. They've said, they said words in the past that really didn't mean anything. Or maybe 
you were someone who grew up in a Christian home. We worry about that with our own kids. We raised our kids in a Christian home. We were in church all the time. We're in Bible studies all the time. We're in you know, church events all the time. Our kids were taught the Bible. They were taught uh, Sunday school lessons. They were taught the truth. We, we hope that they'll make a profession of faith and that it will be authentic through what they learn. But there's always a possibility that one of them could become thinking that, well, I know all this stuff, so therefore I must be a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church. But again, they don't see anything in their lives to confirm that. These people won't see the radical changes that take place when you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Your life will not look like... If if the Holy Spirit really was changing you, you would not look like you did before Christ. There would be changes that you could look back at and go, that's not me anymore. They don't regularly see the fruits of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians 5. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're a Christian, then you and others around you who know you will be able to see some of those gifts in your life as time goes on. Unfortunately, this person more often looks very much like someone we would see in the world. They're sexually immoral or impure or enjoy pursuing worldly pleasures. They're worshiping or allowing other things into their lives that takes first place over from worshiping God. They have strife or enmity or jealousy in their lives. They're known for fits of anger. The question that has to come out when this type of discussion is going on is, which are you? Which am I? Which one of these people do I look most like? I think this is something that occasionally you should probably reassess yourself as you're going in your Christian walk. Do I see the fruits of the Spirit in my life? Or do I look more like the world? If you don't, if you're unable to conclude very quickly by asking this question to yourself, that are you saved? then you should stop lying to yourself. If you don't have the evidences of being a Christian over an extended period of time, then you're probably not one. Coming to that realization, I think, is better than going through life fooling yourself. And never 
making that decision. If you have concern today that this might describe you, then I appeal to you to see me after the service. Don't leave not knowing. A second reason for someone's life to be dull and sad and unfulfilled is because they've decided to live by some of the same standards of the world. Which, let me remind you, is in disagreement with God's way. They're not fully committed to living a godly life. It's only by the power of the indwelling Spirit, who is our pledge, the pledge of our inheritance to the age to come, that you can resist the tendency to live according to the standards of this world. It is a constant draw. If you're a Christian, you have the power today to tap into, to be able to live the life that you're being called to live. If you're not, you're making that decision. Jesus does not call us to remain baby Christians throughout our life. If you become a Christian, it is intended for you to grow spiritually, grow in maturity, just as we do as people. Henry Drunman, who was a Scottish pastor and friend of Evangelist D.L. Moody, once said, the entrance fee to God's kingdom is nothing. The annual dues are everything. The Christian life is a lifestyle. It involves every part of our lives. There can, there can be nothing hidden or excluded from it. You can't keep the little secret hid in the closet while trying to live fully for Christ. You can't keep hanging on to these little things. You can't choose to turn on most of your life or turn over most of your life to the Holy Spirit, but, but want to hang on to certain parts that you desire and just aren't ready to give up. It doesn't work this way. And thanks to the Bible, we have clear instructions on what the Christian life should look like. And some of these instructions are generally given to us here in the text today, starting in chapter 12, verse 9. This list is not exhaustive. This isn't all of it. There are other passages throughout scriptures that provide more information for us. But this list does touch all of the various areas of our life. It's important to understand that this list also is not a if-you-get-around-it list. 
It's not a to-do list when you get a chance. These are written as commands. These are things we are supposed to be pursuing and supposed to be living on a regular basis. Will we always live perfectly up to this list? No. No. We'll we'll screw it up. We'll fail. I'm here as an example of someone who fumbles on these all the time. But that does not mean that we don't get back up and repent, ask for forgiveness, and try it again. And as we mature... The Holy Spirit working on us through his word and through his power. Through the watching, which I think sometimes we forget about uh, the, the examples that we have of other people in our lives, other believers in our lives, of watching how they live and how they deal with temptations and deal with issues that they've dealt with, that we learn from those things. Hopefully we're getting more mature and able to resist these things. And learn to live the way we're supposed to. Now let's take a look at some of these verses. Verse 9, I'll read through the whole section. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. The way Paul wrote this section seems to be in sort of an ever-increasing circle of relationships. But the first person, kind of in the first ring of that relationship, involves you. Verse 9 is personal. It addresses you in your heart. It must begin with me. If I'm not living in the manner that is addressed here in this passage, then I'm going to have trouble trying to relate to all those other people that or in that circle of relationships. Verse 9 requires a personal commitment. 
that we're to learn and exhibit genuine love. That is love that is done sincerely. The Bible says that love is the primary way that the world will recognize us as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? That's how important love is. It's the highest New Testament virtue. Listen to a few of these familiar texts as I share them here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love one another. Love bears all, believes all things, or bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for God is from love, and, or from, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. God is love. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And there are many verses that deal with the same type of love and the same involvement with love. Love is important. Love is very important. It's the foundation for our relationships. Love is the supreme virtue that should be present and strived for by anyone who claims to love God and wants to follow Him. Paul wrote, let love be genuine. But then he writes, abhor what is evil. And that means that we're to hate what is evil. God does. God hates evil. God hates sin. And while we can't fully comprehend that the way he does, we should be trying to hate sin and evil the same way. We'll never be able to do it in this life, but that's what we should be striving for. We should also remember, friends, that the love of evil and sin and the dabbling with it is dangerous and destructive to your soul. If you're a believer and you still are playing with sin and dabbling with things that you shouldn't be doing as not honoring of God, it will rob you of your joy in Christ. It'll, it'll keep you weak. It'll keep you in that position of being a joyless, sad Christian just kind of walking through life. Because you're robbing yourself of that joy and love. Evil destroys. And you would think that we would stay away from it. But, you know, Satan is crafty. He, he knows your weaknesses. And he's going to try to entice you any way he can. Because he wants to see you being that sad, joyless Christian. That brings him a lot of joy. We will face temptation to sin every day of our life, throughout the day. But if you want to be able to resist and to flee from sin as you are faced with it, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
And as you grow as a Christian, as I've said, and with more successes dealing with various temptations, you gain spiritual maturity. If you're a new Christian, you're probably going to struggle with some of these temptations still for a time. Sometimes God removes them completely. Sometimes you struggle. But as you mature in your faith and grow in your understanding of the Bible and and learn to claim the power of God, you should be able to begin resisting temptations and staying away from them. With verse 10, I am uh, quickly running out of time here. With verse 10, Paul instructs on our relationship with other Christians. So we move from us to those around us in a church environment, our brothers and sisters. This is how your life in the family of God should look. We are to love one another with brotherly affection. This is loving each other in a manner that centers completely on the needs and welfare of the one loved. And doing whatever is necessary to meet those needs. That's a pretty high standard. It's, it's probably easier for us to envision this type of love with our own family members in our, in our immediate families. But this is the same type of love that we are supposed to have for each other here in, in the body of Christ. We don't extend that love as often as we should with Christians, maybe occasionally with some that you've gotten close with. But we are supposed to be doing this for everybody, including those that are a little harder to love. And there's always some that just make it really hard to try to um, love on them. But you need to keep working on that relationship. Let me break this to you as gently as I can. Like it or not, we are probably going to be spending eternity together. You're not going to be able to get rid of me very easily. So we might as well make every effort we can to not only get along and love on each other, but become friends and help each other to grow in our relationships and grow in our relationship with Christ. It will make life a lot easier, especially here on earth. Maybe in heaven it won't be quite as much of an effort because we'll all just be so happy <laughs> and joyful that, we, that you know, it's all been removed. <clears throat> but while we're here, um, it takes work. And as in any family scenario, We open ourselves up to possible hurts in family relationships. I've been told that. I've probably made that decision myself occasionally where I don't want to reach out too strongly towards that person because I just don't want to get hurt. I just, you know, they're they're harsh or they're, you know, whatever the reason is. I just don't want to open up to that and, and, and get hurt again or, Some people, you know, they've had that hurt in the past 
And they're just totally reluctant to try it again now because that hurt is still scabbed over as a reminder in their past. I have probably said or done hurtful things to my own wife and my own kids more times than I want to keep record of. Hopefully they aren't. It happens. But just as in a relationship in my family where I try to repent and seek forgiveness and make it right the best I can and move on and strengthen our relationship, that's how this relationship is supposed to work too. When we have those hard relationships, when we have those hurts, we keep trying to the best of our ability. We all need to extend abundant grace to each other. And if that's hard for you to quite comprehend, just remember that it's extended to you daily. By Jesus. Extend grace to each other, to be forgiving of each other, to repent to each other and to God when we do things that harm each other and grow in our relationships. We learn through texts like this that we're looking at today, how this life and these relationships are supposed to function. But again, we also learn by being able to watch it being exampled by older, mature people in our lives. Practice it. This also works in our own personal lives. Just like, just like um, how I do this in this context, in this relationship, it works in your immediate family in the same way. Loving each other, putting each other first. If you think of a relationship in your own life that is broken, that maybe you're stumped at where to to try to start making amends or how to try to patch it up, talk to one of the pastors. We'd love to try to sit down with you and try to work through that. Uh, Trying to work out those relationships is important. This section continues by stating that we are to outdo one another in showing honor. In verse 10, I think Philippians 2.3 gives us a little bit of insight on um, how this looks. Where Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor is different from Love and affection. These are two different things. You can honor someone for someone that you don't have any affection for. But we're called to do both. To have affection and honor 
that person. Do you realize how hard it is to speak or act towards someone unkindly when you're trying to exhibit genuine affection and honor in placing them ahead of you? It's almost impossible to do. I'm not even sure you can do that. You can't do both. It's almost like if you take it on yourself to earnestly start praying for somebody, that God will work in their lives, that God will bless them, that God will use them, and all the things that you know, you're earnestly trying to pray for someone, it's hard for you to have negative thoughts about that person. It's just hard, hard to do at the same time. It, they just don't work hand in hand. Just think how different your family life would look or how different our church relations would look if they were represented by love for one another. I'll tell you what it would look like. There would be less broken families. There would be less broken marriages. There would be less church splits. There would be less gossiping and backbiting going on. And to even try to comprehend what that looks like, those things are so common in a lot of our relationships, including the church relationship, today, maybe not fully exposed all the time, but I've been in many churches over the years that have had some or all of these issues happening. And I don't think I would know what to do if I was in a church that didn't that was actually loving each other and not having all these things going on. Because I've never seen it. But it is what we should be striving for. That is our goal. So now... I'm going to conclude here because I would imagine Alan is over there getting ready to bang on the door to give your kids back to you. But more importantly, I also know that uh, other uh, sermons are going to be preached on the remainder of this uh, section, and I don't want to rob that pastor or that, that speaker of their opportunity to share with us. So I uh, will stop at that verse. For now, but I do again ask that if you're here today and if any of this pricked your heart or brought some question to mind, if it's causing you some kind of discomfort or even confusion, then again I invite you to come and talk to me afterwards. Don't leave today not knowing where you stand with Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, we know that relationships are important to you. You sent your son to die on the cross to repair a relationship and restore a relationship between you and your children. Lord, we pray that you help us 
in our day-to-day life, in our church life, in our family lives, in the relationships that we have around us, with our workmates, with our neighbors, all the people that we deal with. We, we ask, Lord, that you will help us to learn to love and honor them, to learn to uh, hate evil, and to be willing, Lord, even when we may have hurts in the past, to work on relationships with each other. We pray for your Holy Spirit to help us. We pray that you will give us the strength to do that and that those times when we struggle to have love or grace or mercy for somebody, that you help us to have it. We want to serve you. We want to walk in that manner that is worthy of your calling. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your church that you've given us to be able to learn these things and to practice them in our everyday life. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think we are going to just go ahead and uh, move right into communion instead of do the one worship song since uh, we need to wrap up. And uh, I do want to just remind you, hopefully we'll be moving away from this pretty soon, that you'll need to come up and get your the elements, uh, whichever one that you decide to use. And I do uh, remind you that uh, the communion table is for believers. If, uh, if you are not a believer, we just ask that you uh, let that pass. And, and again, come talk to me afterwards. We would love to be able to one day share a communion with you in the same manner we do with each other and with Christ. So as uh, we just pause for a few minutes, come on up and get uh, your cup. And then we'll celebrate communion together. We celebrate communion uh, weekly as a reminder to us of what God did to accomplish this life that he gives you if you're a believer. That first 11 chapters of Romans, that's what we look back at. 
Paul did a great job with explaining that to us. If you haven't read that, you need to you need to spend time in it. But we also look forward to what's to come and the promise and the hope of our life with him in eternity. When just before Jesus died, this is from Mark chapter 14, he had a meal with his disciples. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And then they shared together. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's drink together. And then he concluded by saying, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And that's the day we look forward to. God bless you. Have a good week. Um, Hopefully Bob will be back next Sunday and feeling well. Work on your relationships this week. It's important. It takes great effort, but uh, we can all use improvement on it. God bless you. We're going to go ahead and stand and we'll conclude with one song here. Did not know.